Ty Nichols Golf is a new elite brand of clothing designed for your golfing needs. It is inspired by the historic golf course in Asheville, North Carolina, which is known to be a place where many black golfers played. The clothes are so comfortable and you can find multiple options offered. They have classic polo shirts, hats, socks, and they have regular everyday hoodies. You can find all of their products on www.mooneymerch.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Black and Cold, a true crime podcast. I am Michelle, your host, and I am back with another case for you guys this week. So before I jump in, I just want to say a few things. For one, this is episode number 25, which seems so unreal to me. If you have been listening to me since day one, you know that I have been trying to start this podcast for a little minute now. So to see the progress that it's made has been very rewarding to say the least. And I am so happy that many of you seem to be enjoying it. So thank you to all the listeners who have been tuning in weekly. Continue to spread the word about this show. Continue to rate and review us. I love to hear that feedback as well. And you guys already know, you can send me any case suggestions that you would like to see me cover. Also, you can follow us on Instagram to stay updated at black underscore cold underscore podcast. The case I will be discussing today is, I believe, the oldest one I have covered on this show this far. And I actually never knew about it. I ran across it on Facebook a few months ago, and not only does it deserve so much more publicity... But it really saddens me that no answers have been recovered after two decades have passed. Also, it's very troublesome how a part of the investigation played out. A young man went missing from his hometown in Tennessee after leaving his house to visit another relative. Now, for years, his sisters have been trying to find out what happened to their brother, and it wasn't until 2013 that they would get some of the answers they have been looking for. This is the unsolved death of Lorian Nicholson. Nicholson grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. He was raised by his single mother, Sylvia, and it was hard for them as he was growing up. They lived in a fairly tough environment, so Lorian found his escape by playing basketball and running. Lorian was a student at Pearl Cone High School, and he loved track and field. According to an article from USA Today, Lorian's nickname was actually Flagpole because of his skinny frame. He was very fast, and that caught the attention of many of the coaches. A former coach spoke about Lorian in that same article and said that he won the city championship in the mile and half mile. He was top five in the district, and this was all while he was just a freshman. So he received a lot of medals and trophies early on in high school. Lorian even got one of his younger sisters, Amira, who looked up to him, into track. Lorian was described by his family to be more on the quieter, reserved side, but he was loving, caring, and protective of the people around him, especially his sisters. 
His younger sisters, Candace and Amira, did not live in the same household as him, but they all seemed to be very close as kids growing up. According to Amira, Lorian would cook for her and even do her hair sometimes. But by the time the year 1995 rolled around, many people began to see changes in Lorian. He began to withdraw from school, his friends, and even track. During his sophomore year, Lorian stopped going to school and left his mom's house to live with other relatives. His behavior became more concerning to his family. On investigation discoveries, still a mystery, Candace said she can recall speaking with her brother on occasions during this time, and he appeared to be sort of confused and some of the things he would say just did not make sense. Shortly after his change in behaviors, Lorian was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1996 at the age of 16. Sylvia decided to seek some professional help for him, and she took him to Nashville Vanderbilt Psychiatric Hospital, where he stayed for a while, he was examined, and prescribed medication. Both of his sisters said they were not aware of their brother's diagnosis at the time, and this could have been due to the fact that they didn't live together. But they knew he was no longer in school, and like I said, Candace specifically began to notice questionable behaviors in her brother when they would have conversations. Lorian decided to enter the Job Corps in what would have been his senior year in high school. This could help him get his GED and some vocational training. However, he came back home in 1997, returning after less than a year. His mental health seemed to worsen over time. He returned to his hometown, but Lorian continued to be withdrawn from others. He began to smoke cigarettes, he only watched TV, and pretty much had no interaction with any of his friends anymore. His hair was turning gray by the time he was just 18 years old. On April 12, 1998, Lorian left his home, and it was said that he was going to his uncle's house, which was about a 10-minute walk on foot. But Lorian never arrived there. He was spotted walking towards Jefferson Street, but he was never seen again after that. Lorian was reported missing by his mother on April 15th, three days after he left his home. The police tried to convince Sylvia that her son may have just left on his own as he was an 18-year-old adult, but they did let her know that they would search for him. So on this missing persons report, and shout out to Something's Not Right podcast, who listed both this and the incident report they were able to obtain from Lorian's sisters, but the report says that Lorian was wearing a white shirt, blue jeans, a black Nike hat, and black Nike shoes. His mental status at the time of his disappearance was unknown, but the missing persons report states that Lorian's mom could not confirm if he was actually taking his medication, which could explain his recent behaviors his family saw in him before he disappeared. During this time, Candace and Amira had no idea that their older brother was even missing. They both would reach out to Sylvia to speak with Lorian, and according to them, they were given different stories why he couldn't talk with them. At one point, Candace was told he was at a mental facility in Kentucky, and Amira would be told he was just out. It seems as if Sylvia kept the fact that Lorian was missing from them. Lorian's case pretty much went unnoticed quickly after he was reported missing. As three years passed, his two sisters still hadn't heard from him or anything about him, and it was just like he became a long-lost brother in a sense. 
But as Amira got older, she began to realize that just didn't make sense. So in 2002, 17-year-old Amira confronted Sylvia because she felt she was hiding something and wasn't being truthful for the past years. According to Amira, Sylvia eventually confessed and told her that Lorian went missing four years ago and she filed a missing persons report for him. Amira was taken back by the statement, obviously, and immediately told Candace, who was 22 years old at the time, and also curious to where her brother went. They both were able to obtain the missing persons report filed with the local police in Nashville to see for themselves that this terrible news was true. The sisters reached out to Lorian's former friends, teammates, and anyone else they could to see if anyone had heard from him, but no one did. So from there, Amira, who was still 17 years old at the time, looked into a private investigator to help her brother's case. The PI gave her the impression that they would help out, but ended up never returning her call. Amira feels because she was so young at the time, she wasn't taken seriously. More years go by with no information on Lorian, and in 2008, a different brother of Amira's was unfortunately killed, and his murder was solved by the police. Because she was having so much police contact at this time, Amira ended up building a relationship with one of the officers, so she felt comfortable enough to ask for their assistance in her other brother, Lorian's case, from 10 years ago now. So this officer ran Lorian's information through the database, but was unable to provide Amira with any additional information. The only thing that came up was his Tennessee identification card. Now, four more years go by and the sisters are hit with a complete shock about Lorian's investigation. In 2012, Candace and Amira discovered that Lorian's original missing persons report filed in 1998 had an addendum which was basically additional information filed after the initial report. And this stated that a woman named Pauline Venable, who had no relation to Lorian, said that he returned home safely five days after his mother filed the missing persons report. Police documents were closed after five days of him leaving his home. In other words, this meant no one besides his sisters or other relatives have been looking for Lorian for now 14 years. According to Metro Detective Charles Robinson in the Still a Mystery episode, the report was closed by exception. But the report was clearly false because no one has seen or heard from Lorian after he walked out of his home on April 12th. Candace and Amira were shocked by what they were learning. I mean, to them, it was kind of like, how could the police close a case based off the word of a stranger? Neither one of them knew who this Pauline Venable was, and she wasn't a family member. Also, there was no physical proof proving that Lorian wasn't missing anymore, so how could they just take her word? The next step they knew they had to do was to try and track down this woman, Pauline. But by the time they did that, Candace and Amira learned that she had passed away. But they also learned that Pauline was an elderly disabled woman who lived with her children at the time of Lorraine's disappearance, which left them to wonder how would she know about his whereabouts or about Lorraine, period. Like, what was the connection here? The next step from there was to ask Sylvia if she knew of Pauline Venable, but she too said she had no idea. 
However, it wasn't until Detective Charles Robinson learned that the number listed on the missing persons report filed by Sylvia, Lorian's mother, was the number of Pauline Venables. So when he confronted Sylvia about this, her response was that she supposedly dated Pauline's son at the time, so I'm not really sure what to make about that. There also has been no other details about that information specifically anywhere else besides the Scylla mystery episode, so unfortunately that is unknown. But the police reopened the investigation into Lorraine's disappearance from there. His sister Candace began to do her own investigation from there as well, and that's when she entered her brother's description in the database NamUs. And if you guys are frequent listeners, you know I've mentioned NamUs before. If you are not, it is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. And Candace got a hit of a body that matched her brother's description that was found on April 13th of 1998 the day after Lorian went missing. Candace learned the person in question was named John Doe 19, and they were buried in May of 1998 in Bordeaux Cemetery, a graveyard for indigent and unidentified bodies. He was the 19th unidentified man to be buried there. So Candace reached out to the Metro Police Department with the information she now had, and they had a DNA sample from Sylvia, Lorian's mother, which was taken back in 98 when she actually filed the report. And they were able to compare it to a sample of John Doe 19. In March of 2013, the results came back confirming Lorian Nicholson was deceased. On April 13, 1998, a 911 call was made by a man at around 8 o'clock a.m. whose niece discovered an extremely burned body still smoldering. It was wrapped in a carpet tied with rope at the dead end of Mary Street in North Nashville. This person was burned beyond recognition. Authorities weren't even able to tell the person's race or their gender at the time of the discovery. The area where the body was dumped, which we now know was Lorian's, was known for some criminal activity like drugs, prostitution, and it seemed to be a dumping ground for stripped cars. And this was only about a three-minute drive from Lorian's uncle's house, which presumed he was en route there like originally stated. His family had no idea that he was discovered this whole time. Like, there was no connection made with the missing persons report and this body that was found the very next day, which is horrible. There were no witnesses at the time other than a neighbor who said they heard a car leave that area at around 5 o'clock a.m. that morning, but no one was reported to have made a call about the actual fire. The location of the body was right off of a major highway, Interstate 265, so many people believe that if Lorian did scream or if any other noises were made, it probably couldn't be heard because of the cars that were passing. According to the Metro Medical Examiner Bruce Levy, the autopsy revealed that Lorian was more than likely dead before he was set on fire. It also showed he may have suffered from blunt force trauma to the head, but this is still unconfirmed. Dr. Levy was unable to determine a cause of death and ruled it as pending. Investigators also don't feel that Lorian was killed in the specific location he was found. In 1998, a pager was found at the crime scene. Now, Lorian's family confirmed he did not have a pager, 
but law enforcement still wanted to find out who it belonged to in any case that this could be a lead. But the owner of the pager could not ultimately be tracked down. Lorian's family is still unsure of who killed him that day and why. On May 30th, 2013, Sylvia was able to replace her son's anonymous headstone, which previously said John Doe 19 with Lorian's full name on it. No one has been charged for his death and no suspects have officially been named. Candace continues to go through police reports and do her own search, hoping to find the person responsible for her brother's death. She told News Channel 5 Nashville, quote, I want the story to be out there in case there are people who may remember something. I want to know why the missing person's case was closed and the dots weren't connected, end quote. And I feel her on that. There are a lot of odd things about this case. The biggest thing of them all is that Pauline woman who told the police that Lorian was fine and returned home and they took her word for it which ultimately meant they stopped searching for him. She was not a relative, didn't show them any proof. It was literally word of mouth. So his case was no longer investigated after that piece of information came to them. And I don't understand how that was even allowed. Also, if the number listed on the report filed by Sylvia was this Pauline ladies, that's also something I find to be odd. Either way, had two and two been put together by law enforcement, this mystery wouldn't have maybe been carried this far. Lorian was found the very next day, like that is just so unfortunate that his family was not sure about his whereabouts for 15 years, and he was a John Doe that whole time. There is not much information out there in regards to Lorian's case, nor does it have a lot of media coverage, but he still deserves justice. His family still deserves justice. And to be honest with you guys, I personally haven't located any articles or interviews with his mom where she talks about figuring out what happened that day or who killed her son. Maybe there's one out there that I don't know, but like I said, I haven't found it for myself. From what I've seen, his sisters seem to be the advocates for bringing justice to Lorian's case, and they are really just trying to put it out there as much as they can so they can find out who took their brother's life over two decades ago on April 12, 1998. If you have any information on the death of Lorian Nicholson, you can contact the Metro Nashville Police Cold Case Unit at 615-862-7329.